0: please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 34? Uh, We're going to walk through the first 10 verses of Psalm 34, and as we read, uh, the words will be projected on the screen as normal, but um, I'm going to be referring back and forth to the text a lot, so this might be a good one, a good time to have the text open to you. Um, It's on page 795, if you use the Bible provided for you, Psalm 34. So before we read the text, let me point out um, how some Hebrew scholars um, um, divide this psalm. There's, um, so in the ten verses that we're looking at, there's three different chunks. There's three different movements. The first movement is, is verses 1 through 3, and that movement is called the summons. The second movement is verses 4 to 7, and that is the reason for the summons. And then the third one is uh, verses 8 through 10, and that is called the invitation. So the summons, the reason for the summons, and the invitation. Let's read together. Psalm 34, the first 10 verses. Listen to God's word. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Now the reason for the summons. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. And then here's the invitation. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you, his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. This is the word of the Lord. So, those first three verses are the summons. Uh, We don't use that word very often. But we do summon each other. Uh, We get summoned to jury duty. We get summoned by our bosses to do some kind of task. Uh, We get summoned to the principal's office. Uh Uh-oh. Those are three pretty negative examples, depending on how you feel about jury duty. But a summons doesn't necessarily need to be negative. You could also be summoned by your best friend, meet her at your favorite restaurant. So a summons is a call to action placed on you by someone who believes that they should be heard by you, okay? It's a call to action placed on you by someone who believes that they should be heard by you. So listen to the psalmist's uh, summons again. He says, I will extol the Lord at all times, His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. And then here's the heart of the summons. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. So the psalmist is summoning us to worship. He's summoning us to praise God with him. Have you ever noticed how natural it is for human beings to praise someone or something? It comes so naturally to us. We are just natural praisers. It's what we do. It's so human to praise something. If you watch an amazing movie or you hear an incredible album or you eat a life-changing meal at a new restaurant, what do you do? You sit back and you say, that task is now completed. <laughs> no! You praise! It's just what you do. It pops right out of you. You, you, don't, you don't make a decision to praise. You don't willfully praise. It just comes. It comes so naturally, right? Um, uh, we don't just we're not robotic about things. There's a, there's a praise that comes. It would be unnatural if we didn't praise. It's just in our nature. As a species, Human beings are terrible at keeping secrets about good things. We're terrible at it, right? If you go to a new restaurant, you say, Boy, I sure hope nobody finds out about this place. Word's going to get around, right? It's just how it... We're terrible at keeping good secrets. We can never hide good things because we so naturally praise things that we love. And so, when we're at a concert, we applaud, right? We cheer, we hoot, we holler, all of that stuff. Why? Because it comes up in us, and it's got to go somewhere. And if we eat that incredible meal at that incredible restaurant, we get on Instagram, right? And we're tagging people, and we're sending stuff. We've got to tell people about the restaurant. And if you read an amazing book, or you watch an amazing movie, you call up your friends, and you say, you've got to see it. You'll love it. You've absolutely got to see it. Let's watch it together. It'll change your life. We praise, we exalt, we honor, we, we share our experiences with others so that they can join us in these experiences. It is so human. It comes so naturally to us. So here's what we see in the first few verses of Psalm 34 it's a summons to praise because we are created to praise. It is naturally what we do. It is, in fact, what we are designed to do. It's what we are engineered to do. And the psalmist would probably like me to clarify even further to say that we are designed and we are engineered to praise the one who made us, to praise the one who created us, the one who is is worthy of all of our praise. So when a human being is, is praising God... That human being is functioning at peak performance. That human being is doing exactly what she or he was created to do, functioning at peak performance. We can do a lot of things as humans. Uh, We can function in a lot of different ways. Some things we're better at than others, but when we're praising something, especially when we're praising the God who created us, we are doing exactly what we were designed and engineered to do. Which isn't always the case. For example, um, this pipe organ that we have, this pipe organ would make a terrible spatula, right? If you have a pancake to flip, And your only option is this pipe organ? It's not going to work. That's not what it's made for, right? This pipe organ would make a terrible automobile. It's just not going to get you where you need to go. This pipe organ would make an okay kind of chair, right? Because there's a bench over here. It would make an okay chair. It's a weird place to sit. And it's not that comfortable. Cindy can tell you about that. But I tell you what, if you want to sing Genevan hymns with 500 other people, this is what you need, right? This is what you need. If you want to sing Genevan hymns with 500 other people, this pipe organ is going to send shivers down your spine. Just like this pipe organ, you and I are made for a particular purpose. And that purpose is to praise. That purpose is to worship. So the psalmist says, magnify the Lord with me. Do what you were meant to do. Do that thing that comes so naturally to you. Do that thing that just comes up in you and you just have to let it go. Let us exalt his name together. Uh, I listened to a sermon Uh, a a while back by Jack Rhoda, who's one of my all-time favorite preachers. Um, And in it, he talks about how uh, different groups of animals, you know, are given different names, right? And very often, the names that are given to those groups of animals tell you something about those animals. So, for example, uh, a, a group of lions is called a pride, right? And if you're looking at a group of lions, you go, I see why they're called a pride. Right? That makes sense. Um, Did you know this? A group of hyenas is called a cackle. And if you ever see a group of hyenas, you know, in one of those nature documentaries or whatever, you understand why a group of hyenas is called a cackle. Uh, How about this one? Does anybody here know what a group of larks is called? Anybody know what a group of larks is called? Did I hear it? An exaltation. A group of larks is called an exaltation of larks. And if you've ever listened to larks, you understand why. So, Jack says, Jack Rhoda says, human beings should have the same designation. When a group of human beings get together, we should be called an exaltation. Because when we get together, that's what we end up doing. It's what we were engineered for. It's what we were designed for. When we gather together, we do this thing that we were created to do, and it ends up being pure exaltation. It's in our bones. It's the heartbeat of our life together. We call ourselves a worshiping community. I'll show you, we're a potlucking community. We're a giving community. We're a child-caring community. But we call ourselves a worshiping community, Right? The second section in Psalm 34 is the reason for the summons. Why should we praise? Why should we worship? Um, So we we know what the psalmist wants. He wants us to come and to exalt God's name together. And now he's going to tell us why he thinks we should do that. And he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to the Lord are radiant and their faces are never covered with shame. He says, this poor man called and the Lord heard him. He was saved from all of his troubles. So why should we exalt God's name together? That's why. Because God is good. Because he does things for us. Uh, The psalmist, we can tell from these middle verses, the psalmist was in a lot of trouble Uh, in this situation. You'll notice at the very beginning of the psalm, it's credited to David. David gets the designation for this psalm. And it refers to a time when David was in such a jam that he had to pretend to be insane so that his enemies would lose interest in murdering him. And we all can identify with that. (laughs) He had to pretend that he was insane so that his enemies would lose interest in murdering him. Now, we don't know. We don't have any idea what that's like. At least I don't. But we all have troubles of one kind or another, and our troubles tend to be different from one another. I have my troubles. You have your troubles. The person sitting next to you has their troubles. I can't exactly presume to know like to be in your shoes. You can't exactly presume to know what it's like to be in mine, but there's something very interesting about Psalm 36 or Psalm 34 is that it draws us all together, doesn't it? It draws us together. Psalm 34 is uh, an acrostic poem, an acrostic poem, which means um, that every verse in this poem begins with the next letter of the alphabet. It starts with the Hebrew first letter and ends with the Hebrew last letter. Now, we can't see it in our English translation, right? Doesn't, that doesn't communicate to us. Um, but it is. If you read it in Hebrew, it's essentially A to Z. Why? Uh, that's a, Okay. Acrostic poems have gone out of style. <laughs> um, I remember writing one in third grade. I don't remember writing one since. Uh, and so maybe they seem kind of cheesy to us, but wh- why would someone write an acrostic poem? Why would someone start with A and then end with Z? Well, here's, here's what it communicates. There's a, there's a universality to what's going on. There's a universality to what's being said. It's, it's all-encompassing The message that David means to communicate starts at the very, very beginning and it concludes with the very, very end. So this isn't just about David being rescued from his troubles. This is a psalm about all of us being rescued from all of our troubles. There is an unlimited scope when it comes to God's salvation. There is an unlimited scope when it comes to God's salvation from A to Z. So there's, um, there's really interesting word play. I, I geek out on this stuff. I find it so cool. You can pretend like you do. There's really interesting wordplay going on in verses 6 and 7. Okay? So verses 6 and 7, it says, This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. So the two most important words there in those sentences are... Um, troubles and saved there were troubles and you were saved from the troubles now the the root for the hebrew word for trouble here means to be trapped to be trapped so in the in the hebrew mind if you're in trouble you're trapped you're boxed in you're cramped you're stuck you're feeling pressure on all sides and you don't know which way to turn okay you're claustrophobic you're trapped And then the corresponding word in verse 6 is saved. And the Hebrew word for saved is the word yesha, which means to make wide, to make open, to feel free, to open up. The word yesha means deliverance, to make open. So if your trouble is the room that you're locked in, your yesha is that the door just opened up. If your trouble is loneliness, then your yesha is the friend who just walked through, it, through the door. If your trouble is that you are in deep, deep despair, your yesha is a glimmer of hope that comes into your mind and keeps you going, okay? Now, get this. When the angel Gabriel came to the Virgin Mary and told her that she was going to bear God's Son, the angel told her very, very specifically, and his name will be called Yeshua. The Hebrew word for Jesus. His name will be called Yeshua. Mary didn't get to name her own child. His name not your choice Mary, will be called Yeshua. His name will be called door opener. His name will be called deliverer. His name will be called savior, liberator, difference maker. And when Jesus, little baby Jesus, when he was presented at the temple as an infant, there was an old man there named Simeon. And Simeon took Yeshua in his arms, and he said, Sovereign Lord, now you may dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your yesha. My eyes have seen your deliverance. So here's what I love about this. For generations and generations and generations and generations, God's people were asking over and over again, who is going to save us from our troubles? Who is going to be our deliverer? Who is going to open the door? Who is going to be our liberator? Who is going to be our difference maker? Who is going to be our savior? And every single time they asked that question, who is going to be our yesha? Little did they know they were reciting his name. Isn't that incredible? They were reciting his name. The answer was in the question. The solution was in the problem. Doesn't that just remind you of the God of the Bible? You know what I mean? Isn't that just like Him? The answer was in the question. The solution was in the problem. All of those generations... All of those people, with all of their diverse problems, all of their diverse troubles, their diverse situations, all of those diverse people, the answer was the question. Now look at verses 8 to 10. So the, load, the load-bearing phrase in this section is that first phrase. Uh, it's one of the greats in all of Scripture. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Which means, essentially, don't just be an observer. Don't be a wallflower at the dance. Don't go to the lake and then just stay on the shore, right? Right? Don't go to the restaurant and never pick up a fork. You have to walk through the open door. You have to walk through the open door, taste and see that the Lord is good. That can be a really tricky thing for people like us who tend to live most of their lives up here, or at least try to because it feels safer. Rowan Williams says that the truth of the Christian faith is not just one fact among other facts. The truth of God isn't just meant to be analyzed like it's an intellectual reality. The truth of God is not just meant to be analyzed like an intellectual reality. Some things just can't be explained, right? Some things just have to be experienced. So if I were to tell you about that amazing meal... I had, eh, it's not going to work. If I was going to tell you about that incredible concert that I heard, <laughs> you're not going to get it. If I try to act out the book that I just read, it's not. you have to go all the way. You have to walk through the door. You have to taste and see that the Lord is good. How can you and I do that today? I think we go back to what we were made to do. We praise. We praise. We become praising people. We we praise the God who made us. And as we praise the God who, who made us, we encounter that God. Also, we praise the people around us. We praise the people around us because when we praise the people around us, we are indirectly praising the God who created us. It seems to me, I'm just making this up, so, you know, I don't know if it's any good, but it seems to me that there, there's two different kinds of praise. There's direct praise where I'm talking straight to God and I'm telling everything, Him everything I need to tell Him about Him, and then there's indirect praise where I tell you What I like about you and what I see in you and what I see in you is simply your light that's reflected from the creator. No offense, but all of your good is God's good. All of your light is God's light. And so when I see that light in you and I praise that light in you and I tell you about how I love that light in you, that is an indirect praise to the creator. We are praising people. We are made to be praising people. It's what we do. We are not designed to live a life of criticism and cynicism and anger. We're not designed for that. A pipe organ makes a terrible spatula. A weed whacker makes a terrible washcloth. You and I make terrible curmudgeons. You and I make terrible complainers. Terrible complainers. It's not what we were designed to do. It's not what we were made to do. Now, we, we, we may be angry. We're allowed to be angry. And we may be cr- we're allowed to be critical, and we, we may be upset. We're allowed to be upset. In fact, we need to be those things at different times. But if we live there, and we're constantly eating that food and drinking that drink, it will change us into something that we were never meant to be in the first place. We were designed for something else. We were designed for different food. We were designed for different drink. David says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Pray with me, Our Father in Heaven. We're so glad to have a God who desires our praise. Not that you need it, not that you're running at a deficit, but we're so glad to have a God who engages with us. We're so glad, God, that we can taste and see your goodness in one another. We thank you that you share your glory and that you allow us to participate in your glory We thank you for the glory that you have planted in each and every one of us. Father, help us to nourish that glory. Help us to nourish that goodness so that the things that we are designed and engineered and created to do, we might be able to do with gusto. We thank you, God, for feeding us now with this true bread and this true cup. We thank you for giving us your Son and his life. We praise you and him and the Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen.